0: You're listening to She's My Cherry Pie, the baking podcast from the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network. I'm your host, Jessie Sheehan. I'm a baker, recipe developer, and author of three baking books, including my latest, Snackable Bakes. Each Saturday, I'm hanging out with the sweetest bakers around and taking a deep dive into their signature bakes. Today's guest is Millie Peartree, the chef and humanitarian who makes everything she touches taste delicious. Millie is a regular contributor to the New York Times, and she's been featured on shows including Good Morning America, The Today Show, and Rachel Ray. Millie is the founder of the organization Full Heart, Full Bellies, which helps provide meals and groceries to children in need and their families. Not only is Millie a wonderful human, but she makes a mean cornbread. We're going to walk through the recipe for her honey butter cornbread, which is a wonderful treat any time of year. Stay tuned for my chat with Millie Peartree. Thank you to Plugra Premium European Style Butter and California Prunes for their support. I've been a fan of Plugra for some time, as anyone who has peeked in my fridge can attest. I was introduced to Plugra by my co-workers at my very first bakery job, and I continue to use Plugra today in my work as a professional baker, recipe tester, and cookbook author. Because of what I do for a living, I go through a lot of butter, as you can imagine. I especially love that plugra contains 82% butterfat because the higher butterfat content means less moisture and more fat. And as bakers know, fat equals flavor. Plus, it's slow-churned, making it more pliable and easy to work with. I use Plugra Premium European-style unsalted butter when making either my easy-peasy melted butter pie dough or my traditional cold butter pie dough. I also love the buttery flavor Plugra adds to my favorite chocolate chip cookie recipe, which also calls for melted butter. Can you tell melted butter is one of my ingredient obsessions these days? However you use it, Plugra Premium European-style butter is the perfect choice from professional kitchens to your home kitchen. Ask for Plugra at your favorite grocery store or visit plugra.com for a store locator. I'm a California prunes fan when it comes to smart snacking and baking. First off, California prunes are good for your gut, your heart, and even your bones. Prunes contain dietary fiber and other nutrients to support good gut health, potassium to support heart health, and vitamin K, copper, and antioxidants to support healthy bones. And of course, prunes are a great addition to scones, cakes, and crackers. Anything you're baking that calls for dried fruit, consider California prunes. Prunes work perfectly in recipes with rich and complex flavors like espresso, olives, and chilies. And they enhance the flavor of warm spices, toffee, caramel, and chocolate. If you love baking swaps and experimenting with natural sweeteners, you can replace some of the sugar in a recipe with California prune puree. Prune puree is a cinch to make, as it's a blend of prunes and water. You can find more details on the California Prunes website, californiaprunes.org. While you're there, be sure to check out all the delicious recipes including the Salty Snack Chocolate Fudge with Pretzels and California Prunes, inspired by the recipe from my cookbook, Snackable Bakes. Happy baking and happy snacking. Let's check in with today's guest. Millie, so excited to have you on She's My Cherry Pie and to talk about cornbread with honey butter with you and so much more. I love that. She's my pie.
1: Such <laughs> a wonderful name.
0: So you began cooking and baking at a very young age in the Bronx where you grew up, and you were inspired to cook and bake by your mom and also by time spent visiting relatives in the South. Can you tell me about, like, your mom's cooking and baking and also the kind of cooking and baking that was happening when you went down South? Absolutely. Like, my mom's cooking was just so—it felt like a warm
1: hug, Mm -hmm. per se. It was just one of those things. It just made you feel welcome and just the smells of something being cooked than the stories that she used to tell us, but it wasn't by recipe, right? So oftentimes people ask like, what is your recipe? And I'm like, well, we didn't really cook on recipes, it was more or less get your tail in the kitchen and learn something. And it was just a way that we created those joyful memories. And, you know, hindsight is better than foresight. And it's a way that I currently cook. You know, I remember my mom, and that's a lot of my technique in my writing is childhood memories. And the baking, we did a lot of baking out the box. You know, it wasn't anything fancy. But it was just like a way that we kind of got in the kitchen, me and my siblings, and
0: just created those memories through food. Were there specific things that she cooked or even baked from the box that you remember that were important Mm -hmm. to you? I always remember, like, my
1: sisters and I, we used to make brownies from the box and strawberry and vanilla cakes from the box because I was like part of church bake sale right like when you always brought something for the building fund or something like that and I used to always think I'm like I never even saw y'all change a light bulb in here (laughs) in this church where we having a building fund but those are like the cakes that we ate in church like it was a yellow cake with a chocolate icing or some brownies or a strawberry cake with a vanilla icing maybe some cookies or something like that so I always remember those memories of trying to bake something really quickly you know like I said from a box and just bringing it to church or just having something idly hanging around the kitchen, which
0: I like to call center of the table cakes. Now, Right. I love that. I love that. Or I sometimes call them counter cakes. Like they're always just on the counter. You grab a little Mm -hmm. piece whenever you walk by.
1: And you don't have to offer anybody a piece. Is this, you know, more or less something that just sits there and you can just nosh and nibble on it while you're idly walking around the kitchen or looking at someone, you
0: know, just to see what they're going to make next. Right when you would go down south to your relatives was there a different kind of cooking and baking happening there or sort of similar to what your mom was doing
1: um when i went down south the cooking was pretty much one and the same like my aunt lived in Beaufort South Carolina i remember she lived in a trailer i never knew what trailers were i mean now i know what they are right. but i i thought it was like the most fascinating thing she had all this land and all these acres and she used to pick figs and okra and tomato and she had a wonderful neighbor that lived across the way and they used to swap vegetables it was just like one of those things I never knew until now all about like farming and, you know, how special that land was and all the memories that I had traveling to Beaufort, South Carolina. And I remember she had like a groundskeeper and he used to like uh-huh. ride around his tractor trailer. <laughs> but I asked my Aunt Marie, she's my oldest and my only living aunt. She's 92. And she said, I'm going to still try to find out for you. I don't think that she really did, but I wish that there was a way that
0: I don't know if the land was sold or anything right. like that, but, you know, it was it was a beautiful memory. Oh, I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that. You've said that you first knew that maybe a culinary career was in the cards for you or made sense for you after you won your first baking contest. Mm -hmm. Can you tell me about the contest? Absolutely. So my first baking contest when I worked in corporate America and, you know,
1: around the holidays, like everybody has something, whether it's a holiday party, but we used to have like these baking competitions. And I remember one year I bought biscotti and then one year I bought some cupcakes. And it was like, these cupcakes are store bought right. And I'm like, no, absolutely not. I went I went on like, you know, one of those online shopping sites yeah. and I got like the clamshells yeah. and the baking wrap and I made sure I had piping tips and everything because I knew that I wanted to have the best cupcakes ever. And I think that was how It essentially started on how I developed an affinity for baking and creating these happy and joyful memories through food. I love that. How old were you then?
0: Oh, I was a grown woman child. I was in my 25, 26. Oh, my God. I love it. I didn't get into this until I was like, I don't know, late 30s. So Mm -hmm. I feel you. I feel you. I love that. And you've described your cooking and your baking style as kind of classic soul food favorites of childhood. Can you kind of unpack what that means exactly? I think my
1: recipe style is more or less growing up in the Bronx. You know, of course I grew up in a Southern household, I grew up in a section of the Bronx where, you know, it's not predominantly one culture. So when you think of, like, the White Plains section of the Bronx is, you know, predominantly West Indian. A lot of people migrate from, like, Jamaica and Trinidad and things like that. But the area I grew up in, I had, like, a Korean neighbor. I had a Jamaican neighbor around the corner. You know, I always talk about my Puerto Rican neighbors, where I learned a lot of my recipes, like bacalaitos and arroz con pollo and so many wonderful things I still eat to this day. So I think the Fusion of cooking is the Bronx. If I could kind of categorize that into a cuisine of food because it's so multifaceted and multicultural. But the traditional things that I ate in my household, especially around the holidays, Sunday dinner, special occasion meals, were all Southern food inspired, which there's so many different sects of Southern food. I had a conversation recently with somebody. They were like, well, where are you guys getting their six? And I'm like, well, I know of six. I know of a few more. However, you know, as you grow, there's other traditions and other cultures of Southern food that may pop up, and I correlated to this. At some point in time, there were four colors in the whole entire world, right? Red, black, brown, and green, let's say that. But as you grew and as people did their research, they found that there were other colors. So even though six may be acknowledged, like Creole, Cajun, you know, soul food, et cetera, I'm pretty sure that there are more sects of Southern food, and I'm hoping to explore that through my writing. So I'm happy to see where I go with all of this in my recipe writing and all the things that I've eaten over the years. I love that. Can you tell us about Full Heart, Full Bellies? Yes. Yeah, so Full Heart, Full Bellies is a non I created during the pandemic to help feed children and families in the Bronx. And the reason why I chose the Bronx, number one, I'm from the Bronx, and number two, the Bronx is the poorest borough of all of the five boroughs in New York City. Right. So. For 11 months straight, I partnered with wonderful people like Amazon gave us their kitchen and a whole staff, and we cooked for people. And then we had wonderful donors like, you know, Coca Cola and um, Noor and Target, and uh, the list goes on and on. And they were able to help. And individual donors, like we set up a GoFundMe, and people actually dug in their pocketbooks and donated, and we're able to feed people for 11 months straight. And then after that, I started to pivot because, you know, they often say, you know, you teach a man how to fish, don't eat for a lifetime. And that's when I pivoted into the food donation space, where I work with some of the same sponsors, again, over and over again, like Tyson and Knorr and Target, et cetera. And I do random food drives. People always give away food, Christmas, Thanksgiving. But what about the off months? You know, I like to celebrate my culture, Black History Month, Juneteenth, et cetera. But it might be, like, a random day in September, and I'll say, okay, like, let's go to South Bronx and give away some food. I recently did something with the Food Bank of New York City. I had Tyson send them, like, 50,000 pounds of product just because I wanted to make sure people can continuously get what they need, you know, everything for the nourishment of our body. If we don't eat, then we can't be successful and productive people. Yeah. So that's my mission moving forward is to continuously get people what they need, whether it's through, you know, lunch bags and backpack drives or we get children's snacks and book bags. We did a greenhouse in the Bronx, and we partnered with Target on that. And, you know, we cooked up all the food with McCormick, and they sent the donation, and we made sure we cooked for an entire hood. So I want to make sure I continue, you know, even though it's small, but it's mighty. And I want to be impactful, and I'm blessed that through Full Heart, Full Bellies, and all our wonderful donors, supporters, and volunteers were able to help people in food deserts.
0: We'll be right back. Hi everybody, I'm Carrie Diamond, the founder of Cherry Bomb and the editor-in-chief of Cherry Bomb magazine. The Cherry Bomb online shop is temporarily closed because we're switching warehouses. If you are looking for the newest issue of Cherry Bomb, be sure to visit one of our amazing stockists. Cherry Bomb is carried by great bookstores, cafes, magazine shops, and culinary boutiques across the country and abroad. Places like Back in the Day Bakery in Savannah, Good Cakes and Bakes in Detroit, and Ladisset Patisserie in San Francisco. Visit cherrybomb.com for a stockist near you. So now I want to talk about your recipe for cornbread with honey butter. And I wondered if there was a particular inspiration for the recipe, Mm -hmm. uh, maybe a cornbread you grew up with, or anything that got you excited about cornbread or made you develop this recipe? Right. So I ate a lot of cornbread growing up, of course, growing up in a Southern household and
1: many different variations of it, some with corn, some made with buttermilk, some made in muffin form, some made in skillet form, some made in bunt pans, et cetera, et cetera. But this recipe in particular, it's kind of like all the things that I love in cornbread. It was moist. It was not too sweet because I didn't like it like pound cake. I still wanted to have like that, that gritty crumbleness. Like I wanted to be able to taste the cornmeal and have the texture of it. But, you know, honey and butter makes everything better. And it's nothing like that slather of butter at the end that actually melts into the cornbread and has like a slight stickiness when you eat it. And it's just a great 360 burst of flavor. And I also served it in my former restaurant, Millie Petri Fish Fry and Soul Food. We served it in muffin form. And it was just one of those things I was like, you know what, people can't get it any longer at the restaurant. I can give you a recipe for it and you can make it at home. I love that. Mm-hmm. I love that.
0: At the restaurant, would people order it a la carte separately or did it come with like a platter of food?
1: Both. Both. So it'll come with a, any platter or dinner yeah. you purchase. And then you could get like three, I think it was for oh like twenty-five yum. or
0: something like that. Mm-hmm. Yum, yum, yum. So first things first with this recipe, we're going to whisk the dry ingredients together and yes. we're going to have a medium-sized bowl. Do you like glass or metal or what kind of bowl do you like as a mixing bowl? In commercial kitchens, I always use metal
1: because that's the nature of it. Like, you know, it holds up to heat. If you drop it, it won't break. But I have glass at home. But it doesn't matter. Even if you have a cereal bowl, if you want to mix in a (laughs) pot, if that's all you have. Like, I always tell people, you don't have to buy specialty equipment. These are suggestions. But if a pot does it for you, <laughs> if if a salad bowl does it for you, and use what you have.
0: It's all about the love that you put into it when you're putting together a recipe. I love it. Mm-hmm. I love it. And is there a particular brand that you would recommend to listeners, either of the metal bowl that you would use in a commercial kitchen? Maybe that's just like from restaurant supply. That's just like restaurant supplies. Or stuff. at home, is it just like a Pyrex bowl? At home, I think I have Pyrex yep.
1: dishes, and then I have some dishes that you could buy like on Amazon and Target. Yep. Yep. I have like different variations of them. But the glass bowls I do keep at home, they are heat-proof because sometimes I like to melt in my bowls. Sometimes I like to, you know, get things warm if I do a double boiler. So I would always recommend when you're buying equipment, make sure it's universal for all the cooking styles that you want to attempt at some point because at some point in time, you're going to run out
0: of space. I love using like glass Pyrex bowls at home because I love my microwave Mm -hmm. and I love to like melt my butter in the microwave and then use that same bowl to add the rest of my ingredients. And Mm -hmm. so I'm like a big glass Pyrex person. And then you're going to grab a whisk. And do you have like a specific brand or a specific type of whisk that you like to use?
1: I think the one I use the most is like an OXO one. And they have collapsible whisk. You can use a metal whisk if, you know, you're really good at folding ingredients and you can use a wooden spoon. But you want to make sure you get the lumps out. So... If you have the technique on being able to whisk without over whisking and activating the gluten and making your cornbread tough. So there's a little
0: bit of a technique with that, but whisk kind of aerates it a little bit. So I would recommend a whisk. So we're going to wish together our yellow cornmeal. And you like it to be finely ground, medium grind? How do you like the I cor- use a fine one because I like to sieve. I, again, when I do a lot of
1: baking, like I like to incorporate as much air as possible so I can get like this light texture. But it's a matter of preference. You know, you can yep. use stone ground. You can use anything. You can use whatever you have. I don't think that you necessarily have to go out there and buy a specific cornmeal for everything. I think you should find one that is to your liking, whether or not you're making, you know, Johnny Cakes or corn bread and then you can, it's universal. You can use it across the board. And would you, if
0: you had like a medium or something else, would you put that in like a spice grinder or if one wanted to do it your way, we could probably take that coarser cornmeal and kind of grind it down to get something a little Mm -hmm. more fine. And it's yellow cornmeal and not white cornmeal. So we're going to whisk together our yellow cornmeal and some all-purpose flour. Do you have a brand of all-purpose that you like? I use, I use pretty much anything. I've, I use
1: pearl milling. I use Pillsbury. It's just, again, whatever you have yep. on hand. I wouldn't use a bread flour for this, yep. but, you know, you can use bleached, unbleached. It's just whatever you have. Again, the purpose of baking and creating recipes is find what you like keep that in your pantry because this is the pantry recipe. And then from there, you don't have to do too much mixing and maneuvering. We want people to be able to feel like these recipes are accessible and they're not breaking the bank
0: every time they go to the supermarket. Yep. Makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, Now we're going to add sugar. Yes. I know some people think, oh, you can't have sugar in cornbread, but I like it. That I yours like has it cornbread. Me too. Mm-hmm. Would brown sugar
1: work? I know you call for granulated. You can use brown sugar. It'll give it more of a molasses taste. Okay. Brown sugar is a little bit more sweeter, in my opinion, so you might want to scale back some yeah. Again, we're putting the honey on top of it. But you can totally use brown sugar. I wouldn't use it too tightly packed either because we don't want it to turn into something so heavy yep. and so sweet. It might change the flavor profile a little yep. bit too much. I will lean on not necessarily that, but then again,
0: if you like it that
1: way, go totally for it. use it. Yeah.
0: And what's nice is it's such a simple recipe that you could try it with brown sugar. And then if it wasn't your cup of tea the next time you make it, you could go back to granulated. Absolutely. Then we're going to whisk in some baking powder, some kosher salt. I was going to ask, do you always use kosher in your baking, or do you sometimes use fine, fine. sea salt? I don't. I use what I have. Sea okay. salt is a little bit too
1: salty for me. Yep. It's very oceany. I think that those are great for pastas. I use Florida salt maybe for some cookies. Yep. But I'll use, like, kosher salt because that's my universal salt in the house. I use it for savory and me baking. Too. But, again, if you have fine salt, you can totally use that iodized dye salt. You yeah. Know.
0: And now this ingredient is so interesting. But talk to me about adding cinnamon. I just like the warmth of cinnamon. Yeah. It, it it just adds, like, that special sweetness. It's so
1: warm, and it just had something unique to it that makes it different from traditional cornbreads. Yeah. So, you know, you have, depending on texture, flour, but it's like, hmm, what is that? It's not overpowered cinnamon flavor, but it's just something, like, warm in the background, like, you know what, this is familiar. Yeah. I can't quite put my finger on it, but... I
0: like it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's almost like you won't be able to say, oh, it's cinnamon cornbread. It's just almost like a background note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I love, I love a that. warm undertone or something. It's not cinnamon
1: toast crunch or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, oh, my gosh, like this is cinnamon. Like this is French toast, something like yeah. that. It's not that. It's just something like,
0: hmm. Yeah. I like it. And yeah. it's good. I mm-hmm. love that. I've never seen cinnamon in cornbread. I think mm-hmm. that's so great. And then in a second bowl, we're going to whisk together the wet ingredients, which is an egg, buttermilk, which mm-hmm. I love. Could you substitute regular milk or heavy cream? I I wouldn't necessarily do heavy cream.
1: Maybe if you have some half and half. You know, maybe if you want to use up something you have in your refrigerator. But whole milk, 2% milk will work. Not necessarily sure on how almond milk will work because this is one of those recipes like you want kind of like that unctuousness of that full fat. But I'm certain it will work. But, you know, this is just one of those things like that buttermilk. It just gives it like that tang it's like the counterbalance of the the tanginess, the tartness. If you want to make buttermilk, you can add some vinegar to it. Yeah. But it's just something about the balance of flavor. And that's what all what recipe writing and developing is. It's like developing a certain flavor profile. And I feel like with the cinnamon, the sugar, the buttermilk,
0: it gives it like this unique, delicious flavor that is without equal. I feel like that buttermilk, like that tang, will be so nice with the honey and mm-hmm. so nice with the sugar. Just yes. to kind of like the contrast there would be so yummy. I think buttermilk tends to be a pretty, like, regional ingredient, but is there a particular brand of buttermilk that you use? Mm Mm-mm. I'm thinking about it. Like, it just depends on what store I'm going to. Like, if I buy something off of,
1: you know, fresh, you know, it might be their brand because a lot of these stores have their own brand now. But if I go to, like, a local, you know, mom-and-pop shop, it might be, like, a a, a national brand. So it doesn't matter. Just make sure you give it a good shake as buttermilk can settle. And
0: you don't want it to be too thick coming out, but just shake it up really well And any brand will definitely do for this. And the thing you were referencing before with the vinegar, I think the idea is, right, we would use the same amount of buttermilk, but let's say in whole milk, but we could add, you know, a a tablespoon tablespoon of vinegar vinegar. or lemon juice to every cup of milk. Absolutely. There you go. That's the measurements. Yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah, that's a good one. I love that. And then some unsalted melted butter. And I also love that the butter in this recipe is melted because Mm -hmm. it just means you don't have to cream anything. There's no stand mixer or anything. It's Mm -hmm. just easy peasy, which I love. And if
1: you want to use salted butter, you totally can. I use unsalted butter in my house because I, you know, when I develop recipes like that's what it particularly calls for. And again, adding salted butter will change the flavor profile some. But if you're a salted butter person,
0: feel free to use it. The next thing we're going to do is we are going to make a well in the center of the dry ingredients, Mm -hmm. and we're going to pour in all of those liquid ingredients and slowly whisk, because as you said, you don't want to overmix the batter (laughs) until a smooth batter is created. You don't want any lumps at this point? There won't be. So the fact that we sieve some of it and we created that well, it's kind of like you're folding the dry
1: over the wet. And so it gives like an even consistency. So that kind of, in my opinion, it helps mitigate
0: the over-whisking because once it starts to combine you're done. That's what it is. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. done. And so are you saying that in the beginning with that cornmeal we should actually use a sieve to make the ingredients a little bit more fine and to put a little bit more air in them?
1: I technically would, but again, if this is if you don't have yep. a sieve, you know, of course I don't want you to go out and buy yep. one, but I just feel like it adds so much more air to a recipe yeah. when you have it. And the salt, if you're using kosher salt, of course, the salt is not going to go through the sieve. So you can just throw the salt in the bowl and kind of like use a a fork or a wooden spoon just to combine it all the way through. I love that.
0: Mm -hmm. I love that. And then the oven has been preheated to 400 Mm -hmm. and you've greased either a nine inch round cake pan or a cast iron skillet. Or, as you said, a muffin tin. And is there a brand of cake pan that you love? Or again, are you just kind of getting them at a restaurant supply store? Um, or on I have Amazon? a lot from
1: restaurant supply stores and like online shopping. But, you know, when I did my a lot of my dessert bacon, I used to use Wilton a lot. Yeah. But then I have like my old school, I have my mama's old oh, school cast irons, I, I have a Le Creuset one. And again, you don't have to keep going out there buying things. Yeah. Like, listen, you can find something heat proof. Get it in the oven, it'll it'll work perfectly. But again, preheat in the beginning because, you know, you want the oven waiting for you. You don't want to have to wait on the oven. Yeah.
0: And do you have a preference to, like, do you like to make this in a skillet as opposed to a cake pan? It just depends on what I'm I'm
1: trying to do. Of course, like, a, a skillet will give you more surface room, so it'll be a little bit more thinner. When you get those crispy edges, if you do it in a cake pan, it'll rise a little bit more, so it'll be more cake like. But it's all about what you want. You just have to be mindful of your cook times. A cast iron skillet has a 360 heat, it may cook a little bit quicker, the cake pan a little bit longer. Of course, muffins, 12, 15 minutes. So it just all
0: depends. So then you're going to pour the batter into the greased pan, Mm -hmm. whether it's your cake pan or it is your cast iron skillet Mm -hmm. or muffin tin, and you're going to bake until golden brown on the top, and then a tester inserted in the center comes out clean, like 25 to 30 minutes. But like you said, Mm -hmm. it'll depend on the kind of pan you use. Correct. I mean, obviously, when we write recipes, we have to put in an amount of time. But really, people need to look, and they need to smell. And, Mm -hmm. you know, because you just, you you don't always know when everybody's oven is different. Absolutely. And depending on gas and electric. And I always
1: say, like, you know what, use the light. You know, especially if you're doing muffins, you know you need at least 12 to 13 good yep. minutes. I don't think that anybody should be opening their oven at 10 minutes because yeah. you're going to let a lot of the air out and you'll risk the pastry. I guess we could yeah. call it a pastry, right? Yeah. Dropping in yeah. the center and uneven cooking time. But I think you kind of know when things get brown, there's a light in there you could kind of take a peek in. Just kind of watch a little bit, but you don't have to keep opening and closing the yeah. oven door.
0: Yum, yeah, I want cornbread right Me now. Me too. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about how to make the honey butter, but do you like the honey butter to already be made so the second that the cornbread comes out, you can brush it on top? Absolutely, because the only thing is going to kind of like seep in, yep. and then sometimes, you know, I'll take the cake
1: test, and I would recommend cake tester or toothpick, have those things around in your kitchen, because when you start stabbing it with the fork, yeah. it will kind of open it up and, it, you know, especially if you're serving it, it won't look as pretty, but cake testers and toothpicks is like a small prick, and you can make like a whole bunch of little holes, and it could just
0: seep down oh, into it and get all the nooks yes, and crannies yes, yes. of the cake. So to make the honey butter, in a medium bowl, we're going to whisk or use a fork. I don't know what tool you think is best for this, but we're going to whisk together the honey mm-hmm. and some unsalted melted butter. Do mm-hmm. you just do that with a a little whisk or would you do that I'll with do, a fork? Like
1: sometimes you know what I'll do? I'll yeah. just put the butter and the honey in the same bowl yeah. put it in the microwave yes. and of course you're going to watch the intervals because they'll foam up because of the milk solids in it. So do like 10-15 seconds at a time make sure it doesn't overflow and then it's ready to go and then you yeah. can like kind of whisk it because the honey yep. might drop to the bottom a little bit but just take a
0: fork and mix Yum. it together. And pour and slather or brush. Oh, my God. I'm going to say it again. I love my microwave. And I love melted. And I love honey butter. Mm -hmm. I mean, is there a particular flavor of honey that you like? Or you'll just take whatever you have? I'll
1: take whatever I have.
0: Don't forget grade A. the the
1: better kind. But again, if you find an inexpensive one, just use what you like. Yeah, Mm -hmm. perfect. Or use maple
0: syrup, like I said. That's what I was going to say for Mm -hmm. people that don't have honey at home or don't like the flavor of it. Maple syrup works as well. Mm -hmm. And then do you brush the honey on with like a pastry brush? And is there a brand of pastry brush that you like? You can use a paintbrush from the hardware store. Just make sure you wash it and make
1: sure you don't paint anything with it. But listen, you can just go straight with it. Or if you don't have a pastry brush or a paintbrush, you could just kind of, like I said, prick holes and just pour it on top and use the back of a spoon to get it in those holes the best that you can. There's no right or wrong way when it comes to that. Or you can just take
0: your cornbread and dip it Oh my oh, gosh. That's yum. So, so I forgot gorgeous. about that technique too, to maybe when it comes out of the oven to use your toothpick to, to make a million holes. So mm-hmm. when you do brush on that honey butter, it seeps. It seeps right down. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yum, yum, yum. Mm. And then you serve the cornbread hot. Yes. Yes. I, I uh, like the steam coming out of my
1: food. Do. You do not have to let this rest. It may crumble some, but that's all the better. I'm a hot food person. Like, I'm not a big yeah. room temp person. Like, if I could eat something hot, I'm going to eat it hot. But it's equally delicious, warm, room temp. If you like it cold, feel free to eat it that way.
0: There's no right or wrong way to I eat love it. And I'm a little bit extra, but, like, I might put extra butter on it. Would you? As you should. Okay, good. Like some, okay, good. some,
1: um, some room temperature yes, yes. butter
0: and you just kind of slather it on. Yes, that's what I want to do. Do what you like. I'm so hungry right now. Me too. I just love all your recipes on New York Times Cooking, like your pimento cheese dip and your spoon bread and Mm -hmm. your 7-Up sheet cake. I'm just obsessed. But will you tell us about the Southern mac and cheese recipe? Because I do think what makes it unique are the eggs. Mm -hmm. So I feel like the
1: eggs give it a more custardy, velvety, smooth consistency. Yeah. And... Just think about when you make like a bechamel sauce. When you scoop it, it might run on the plate a little bit. This will kind of stabilize it a little bit more. So it adds like this custard feel to it. It's not quiche, but it just adds another level of flavor and some balance to it. And I just love the way the the flavor of it. It's another thing that you can't really put your finger on because even when you eat a cake, you can't taste the egg in it, but you know that you put eggs in it. But it's just one of those things like this is the way I grew up making it this the way i was taught how to make it i don't know the reasoning or rhyme behind it but i know it does add that extra flavor to it that just reminds me of those happy and joyful memories cooking with my mom
0: in the kitchen listeners please make millie's southern mac and cheese recipe it is so good and i consider it baking which is why we're talking about it and i also say you got to make sure your noodles are cool enough
1: when you add the eggs the eggs won't scramble Make sure they're evenly incorporated. And then even with um if there's a little bit too liquid like after the first baking process before you put the cheese on, you know what I noticed? If you stir the macaroni and cheese, it kinda like brings it together the same way a cheese sauce would. Yep. And then you can put the cheese on top. So if it's a little bit too wet during the baking process, once you pull it out, it's like, oh, I still see a lot of milk. Stir that bad boy together. Yep. And it'll turn into like this creamy cheese yep. sauce. When you put the cheese on it, broiler, you scoop it out perfect every time. I want that right now with
0: the cornbread. Absolutely. I want both. And some fried oh. chicken. Yeah. Yes, please. Yes. Yes, please. A, a, old Southern dinner. Yes. Mm-hmm. This is another New York Times recipe that I love. Tell us about socket to me cake. Oh, socket to me cake. So socket to me cake is kind of like a hybrid cake, right? It's
1: kind of like a coffee cake and a pound cake and they had a baby. But instead of having those crumbles on top, it's actually mixed in the middle. And it's famous in part through Aretha Franklin, you know, that favorite line, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me, suck it to me. So it's a wonderful cake that has such history and culture, and I call it another center of the table cake. And it doesn't even have to be served for dessert is good enough to have in the morning or after
0: dinner treat. Oh, my gosh. I love the idea of mixing coffee cake and pound cake. Mm -hmm. It's so good. Yeah. And finally, your caramelized banana pudding. Oh, another one. Oh, my one. gosh,
1: Millie. So it, it's so good. So I always hear people say, like, you know, when bananas start to ripe, they start to oxidize, yeah. right? And it's like they turn black. And it's like, well, it doesn't mean that it's not equally good. But I was like, but, you know, we're going to mitigate some of the conversation on whether or not you're going to eat it based on the bananas turning black. So I was like, you know what, if you kind of caramelize it, and number one, if you have overripe bananas, this is a great way to kind of make them ripe, make them more sweet you can actually caramelize them and toss them in some sugar and it just adds like this smooth consistency and it's again this is one of those recipes like you make it your own like nothing yeah. wrong with just adding sliced bananas but i feel like this is another way to add flavor It's just so good. And listen, I'm at a loss for words on what this caramelized (laughs) banana pudding means to me.
0: And you kind of cook those bananas with butter and sugar. Butter and
1: sugar. And listen, it's dessert. You don't eat it every single day. It's just something that just makes you feel good. And that's just a different
0: version on making banana pudding. Well, I love it because when I was little, like if there was no dessert in the house, I would literally take a banana, slice it in half, cover it in butter and brown sugar, and then put it in the toaster oven. Yeah, And that would be dessert.
1: And with some ice cream, oh my and God. I and I used to always make this caramelized bananas like with French toast or pancakes or you know with some granola. So you don't only have to use it in the pudding. Right, you can find
0: a different way to use it and dessert and, you know, add some rum or and some does cognac. And the, does, the oh, does the pudding also have fresh banana in it, or it's just exclusively the, the caramelized It's
1: just b- exclusively the caramelized banana, so the same way you'll make any custard with eggs and heavy cream or half and half yeah. and the whole cooking process of that, yeah. and then it's just layered with the caramelized uh, bananas and the vanilla wafers, and you put it in the refrigerator and you let it set, and then you pull it out you have, like, those tender cookies with the sweet banana and the custard.
0: And it's just a delicious. I love that. And I also love like banana pudding, like it's been made a million different ways by a million different people. Mm -hmm. And so it's so hard to find something, you know, to find a a way to make it unique and to make it your own. And I feel like that's such an excellent use of bananas in a banana pudding. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me today, Millie, and I just want to say that you are my cherry pie. Oh, thank you so much, my love. I appreciate it. Thank you. That's it for today's show. Thank you to Plugra Premium European Style Butter and California Prunes for their support. Don't forget to subscribe to She's My Cherry Pie on your favorite podcast platform and tell your baking buddies about us. Be sure to check out our other episodes and get tips and tricks for making the most popular baked goods around, from birthday cake to biscuits to blondies. She's My Cherry Pie is a production of the Cherry Bomb Podcast Network and is recorded at CityVox Studio in Manhattan. Our producers are Carrie Diamond and Catherine Baker. Our associate producer is Jenna Sadu, and our editorial assistant is London Crenshaw. Thank you so much for listening to She's My Cherry Pie. And happy baking!